Hello and welcome to the TetraCast, RPG Sites podcast. This week, joining me today are Adam Vitali. Hello. James Galizio. Hey. And I am your, I'm going to still use the word interim host, Brian Vitali. So we're going on three weeks straight of running this, and I think that's kind of just a good trend. We're all still eager to be here and talk about RPGs and other games we've been playing. Uh, this week might be a, a bit of a more brief cast, but we do have a couple interesting discussion topics that we want to talk about. Uh, but of course, before we get into those, we're just going to talk about what we've been playing over the last seven days. Uh, it looks like that the main topic here is a recent release that we just put up a review for. And James, you already know I'm going to hand this off to you. So oh, you God. Put on, <laughs> you put on your list here that you've been playing Ark of Alchemist, who you, which you just reviewed and put up on the site. Um, and what do you think about Ark of Alchemist? Might not necessarily be the worst game I've ever played, but it's the worst game I've ever finished. All right. Um, so with with that preamble, give us like an intro. Like, what is Ark of Alchemist? Um, so Ark of Alchemist is the uh, latest Idea Factory game, which for some people that kind of is all you need to know. But um, honestly, I've enjoyed some of Idea Factory's titles in the past. Like, even though I had some issues with the port and some of the pacing, I did think Death End Request was pretty good. I enjoyed um, Fairy Fencer F, Advent Dark Force, that sort of thing. Uh, this game, however, is honestly a garbage fire, and nobody should play it. Like, just flat out. So, one of the lines in my review, I basically said, it's like I'm examining a dead body, but there's so many possible, like, fatal wounds, I'm not sure exactly what it is that made the game so bad. And I'm pretty sure it's like a combination of everything, it's just... Okay. Number one thing, apparently it runs pretty awful on PS4 as well, but on Switch, it regularly dips down to like 10-ish FPS in both docked and handheld mode. Handheld mode's even worse. Like I was already feeling pretty awful about how the performance was when I first started playing the game, but then it just keeps getting worse the further into the experience you get. It's just, it should not be sold with how bad the performance is, particularly in handheld mode. There are people that own Switch Lights, which means that they're stuck with handheld mode performance, which is worse than dock mode performance, which is stretching the limits of what I would call playable. And even though the, the rumors uh, keep bouncing uh, back and forth, it, like the more, most recently it seems like there is no Switch Pro version coming out this year, supposedly from the Nintendo president. Uh, this game should not run horribly this game shouldn't run horribly on the platforms it is I don't think like a Switch Pro or anything should even be part of this discussion to be honest well I saw you um, I saw you post a quick capture that you did um, yeah. in our staff chat and I, I seriously thought that it was just like a bad capture or like my internet connection was crapping out or whatever like wait that's actually how it looks like when you're playing it like and it gets it's worse. Jumpy and just I I if I if I was playing the game and I saw that I would not play it. And I'm you and I'm usually pretty um pretty lax when it comes to like performance. Like I, there are games I love that just don't perform well at all. But this game is like even pushing that. It's not, yeah. what you showed anyway. Yeah, like honestly, like Idea Factory's always been kind of, pardon the pun, iffy about performance. But, um, right. like, I remember the original version of uh, Fury Fencer F on PS3 had some pretty heinous performance drops in, like, any of the volcano areas. And, like, even that was pretty 
awful, but the difference there was that Fairy Fencer F was a turn-based RPG. This one is an action RPG, which means that the fact that the frame rate dips even worse than that, it's just unacceptable. Like, one of the things I mentioned in my review is that, first off, the level design is kind of awful, but the worst part about it is, is that one of the uh, defining features of the game is how you use this, like, system called the Luna Gear to solve puzzles in the overworld and continue on one of those powers is literally just making blocks that you can stack to make staircases in order to get up a ledge which it isn't so bad if it's just like one area where you need to place one block but quickly it becomes like you're going to have to stack like six blocks in like a three two one like staircase and there's two things wrong with that one it's tedious as hell and isn't fun two Okay, so this game is really weird. So you know how in most games, if you try and walk off a ledge and there's like floor like below it, you can just drop down. This game yes. doesn't do that. So from like the very beginning, you're taught, okay, I'm not sure where there's an invisible wall. So sometimes you'll see a wall and you'll think, I wonder if I can climb that. And then it's like, oh no, I can't. And then it's like, I don't think I can climb that. But then later you realize, oh wait, I'm supposed to. And <sighs> The worst part about the blocks is how it feels like some of the worst performing areas in the game are the ones that want to want you to use those blocks the most. And what makes that especially bad is that the blocks themselves, and I have like a picture of them in my review somewhere, PS4 version, not the Switch version, but it gets the point across. Those blocks are barely bigger than your character model, and especially trying to jump and move in midair is already kind of wonky. And then add in the poor performance, and it's like just an exercise in futility trying to climb those damn blocks it's so much in this game it's bad like one of the other things i mentioned was the fact that so you have melee attacks and ranged attacks and different enemies have different weaknesses some are weak to melee attacks some are weak to ranged attacks so point being you do have to use ranged attacks sometimes and it seems like the later on you get in the weapon upgrades the ranged attacks that each weapon has is more effects heavy like the penultimate weapon for like the sword class shoots out a ton of tiny projectiles and that just tanks the frame rate even worse than it already is so it's does like, the frame rate actually like make the game more difficult yes because you can't really tell what you're doing in a way yeah during the final boss fight there was like which by the way the game has the cardinal sin of having a huge difficulty spike just at the end which yay <laughs> cherry on top but um yeah there's multiple moments where like sometimes you have to dodge pretty quickly in order to avoid uh enemy attacks and the thing is is that you can't cancel your attack animations into a dodge so because of the low frame rate the input is lagging behind so if you're in the middle of an attack animation because you couldn't see the enemy winding up because of the low frame rate it's already too late for you to react and you might die so uh, you kind of did touch on this i was gonna ask like all right let me play devil's advocate uh outside of performance issues how does the game feel in terms of the way it's designed in terms of a narrative in terms of you know the rpg structure but when then when you talk about the weapon upgrades having high number of particle effects or whatever and that ties directly into the frame rate maybe it's just not possible to to divorce the 
performance issues from the design or like beyond performance issues how do you feel about the game is that even a question that's possible to answer yes it is because honestly if i was reviewing this on playstation 4 i which had slightly better performance i'd still probably give it no more than a three because the performance just for reference you gave it a two I don't think he said yeah. it outright, but it was the rare yeah. RPG sites. Like it's rare enough that we score anything below like five or four. I don't think we've ever given a one yet, Adam. I don't know if you can speak to that, but a two is pretty. I think two is the lowest so. we've done before. We have done a two before. It was for the Little Witch Academia game. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we were we were due for a dud, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But um, like the gameplay itself is just mind-numbingly like simple. Like, you just have two attack buttons, and then you can use the Luna gear for attacks sometimes. And it's just... So, here's how it works. You literally just spam the A button on uh, the Switch controller for melee attacks, and you spam the Y button for ranged attacks. And, or, well, I'm not sure if it's Y or the X Point being, you just spam two buttons, you have a dodge move, and then you can use the Luna gear for everything else. And it's, like, the combat isn't bad, but it's really, really mind... It's just so, so bland. And the enemy designs are, well, it's an idea factory game, so you already know that there's not going to be much enemy variety, and what variety there is is going to be mostly just recolors. And, like, that's not, like, digging on them. That's just, like, something you have to expect from idea factory. But, um... It's like the level design, every single area in the game, except for a small portion of the final level, is a desert. And the only meaningful difference between each of these deserts is the color grading on like display. Like the very first area is like a yellowish orange like horizon. The next area is like orange red. The area after that is night. And pretty much every area after that's actually night, but with different hues for the night sky and it's like i can understand from a narrative point of view why it's all deserts but it gets old really quickly and it's especially confusing that a uh that the game looks so poor because deserts frankly unless you're doing like sand simulation i'd imagine aren't that hard to drive on hardware because it's like it's mostly just sand unless you're doing something with that sand it's like there's like no foliage there's nothing to really get in the way like particle effects wise it's it's just wonder, bad yeah i wonder who it's did easy this switch port hmm? i'm just curious who did the switch port because in japan the game came out on ps4 first and then on switch like several months later i could have paid attention during the uh credits but once I saw them starting to roll, I kind of spaced out because I was. I know Idea Factory has released some games on Switch, so maybe unlike some other companies in Japan, maybe they actually do their own ports. But I'm not sure. Not nec- no, because I know that Ghostlight did the. Uh, port oh, they did the Fairy Fencer one. Yeah. Yeah. So it could have been Ghostlight that did one, but I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. I was going to make the comment that like I have played some games where desert environments have been really cool. Uh, the two that come to mind are Outward from early last year had a really cool like desert where it had like cool like heat haze effects and things like that. And it had like kind of a an Arabian or a Saudi Arabian like castle and palaces. Yeah. 
And then also I've played an MMO, Guild Wars 2, whose last expansion was desert-related, and they did these cool things with, uh, like, riverlands and things like that at the at the per- periphery of the desert. But then I can also yeah. see how a desert environment is easy to also, like, not give that level of detail or of, like, interesting yeah. design. It could just be, like, a flat, sandy, sunny, like, square. Like, I could, I, see, like... I could see it falling on either side there. I feel like I want to stress that... Yeah, desert environments can be really cool. Like, one of my favorite desert environments... Let me just put it this way. Monster Hunter has, like, four or five different desert environments Yeah, between all of its different games. And each of them is super unique. And especially Wildfire Waste, it's honestly one of my favorite desert areas in a game. Because it even includes, like, the little desert oasis off to the side. But that's kind of going off track. Point being, don't play Ark of Alchemist. It's like this, I didn't even talk about how dry the uh, translation is. Like, just going from the translation alone, you can tell that Idea Factory International knew that the game was a dud and they gave it the least amount of effort possible to make sure it was playable and then they just pushed it out. When you talk I mean, about I can't the same environments, the, the game that actually comes to my mind is Greedfall, where... Even though I like the game in general, it had a bunch of environments that were just very minor twists on autumnal woodlands. Like every single area just kind of looks yeah. like uh, the Midwest in the fall. So uh, yeah. sometimes you, you do need that variety for a couple of reasons. Obviously, just to maintain your interest, to kind of help you know keep your 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 orientation yeah. and your bearings on like what areas, like what sort of narrative beats or you know emotions or characters you assign like in your mind to each area of the game and when they all sort of like overlap and blend together it just kind of ends up feeling not so good to like progress through that because you feel like i've seen this before i know this this isn't any this isn't interesting anymore so that's what came to my mind when you talked about all those desert areas kind of feeling very samey yeah um the story (sighs) so here's the thing it technically has a story, but both the pacing and the way it's framed makes no sense whatsoever. So, like, you're kind of just dropped into the game, and you don't really get a proper explanation for what the entire, like, plot is. The only reason I knew what the plot was was because I have been reading PR releases about what the game's story was. It doesn't explain what the Luna Gear is. It just says, oh, we have it. We're looking for orbs. It's like, there's... It... You have like most of your party right from the get-go but you don't get any information about them in the actual plot the only re only like information about characters and their backstories you get and this is like a main thing i mentioned in my review is that so whenever you go back to base you get an unskippable like scene which is either like a little skit that's like completely it goes against the the um the plot not in the sense that like goes against the plot from a narrative standpoint, but rather it just like the plot is supposed to be like kind of edgy and like dark. And then you see these skits, which are basically just slice of life, happy go lucky, even though literally the entire plot is humanity is literally dying out to starvation because the world is continuing to turn into a desert. And yet the character skits are about like, Hey, we're going to do this play here's here's your catchphrase and so that so that's bad for two reasons if you actually did want to learn more about the characters backstories the only way you're going to do so is by seeing those skits but the only way you see those skits is by going back to base and you can only see one at a time 
and they're unskippable. So that means if you don't care about, about those skits, you have to spam through them every time you go back to base to upgrade stuff like your equipment. And if you do care, it means you have to back out into the world and go back to base however many times until you see all of those skits. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, feels... like some old some old JRPGs. Like you just kind of have to enter the same. I think I'm thinking of like Tales of Vesperia or maybe some other ones around that like time frame. Where in order yeah. to see like all the all the events in a given region, you got to like enter an area a bunch of times. You're like, all right, have I seen everything? Because I don't. I like, I want to be interested in this, but the way it's implemented into the game's structure is very awkward. So you just kind of enter a city yeah. a bunch of times until you're like, all right, I think I'm in the clear, but I don't know because yeah. it's not well yeah. signposted. Like I imagine if I was playing this game and it doesn't, it wouldn't take long to realize. Oh, when I enter the city, sometimes there's a scene. So you basically would just enter the city, watch a scene. Like all right, leave the city enter the city again, watch another scene. All right, leave the city again, enter it again. And just, that's not very, you know, that obviously pacing is no longer a thing. And it, I guess these, these are just skits that have nothing to do with like a storyline anyway. But it's just kind of like random scenes that you just see kind of either all stacked on top of each other like that or randomly whenever you decide to enter a city. I don't know. It's... Yeah. And, and honestly, the base in, in general was mistake because so you you can't just upgrade your equipment no there's like three steps you need to do before you can even buy equipment to upgrade your party members with so you have the space and you have all these tiles and what you have to do is you have to invest um, money and materials into buildings that you can place on these tiles and depending on how many buildings for like the armory or the uh the smithy or like accessories and all that sort of stuff are placed on tiles. That's the level of that, um, of that commodity or whatnot that you can actually buy at shops. So you collect the materials in the game world, you invest it into the buildings, then you place the buildings, then you can finally buy your um, upgrades. And as far as I can tell, I could be entirely wrong, but it doesn't seem like it matters where you place those buildings. If it does, it doesn't matter much. So it feels like it would have just been better to have the weapons or the equipment require the materials right when you purchase them instead of requiring you to make those buildings and place them first, see all these animations, and then buy your equipment upgrades. So I'm curious. First of all, can you like explore the city no, if, if it's you, just a menu. It's just a menu. Okay, that's that's basically the same. Like, if you make a building, can you at least like see it when you're walking around? But if, if the city is just a menu, then you can see apply. the buildings. It's like the way the menu works is that you just see the town hut. Like you see, it 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 basically looks like kind of like Sim City, but from a isometric view. Like yeah. you can. So yeah. <laughs> All right. So, any final thoughts on Ark of Alchemist? I like, so whenever we do these new release sections of our podcast, I do. I'm glad that we're able to give some time to it. Hopefully, whenever the next one is, we'll be a little bit more positive on. Uh, so, any other thoughts on that game or anything else you've been playing uh, on the side? Well, I've been playing Iceborne, but I mean, we've talked about Monster Hunter so much on this podcast, so. Uh, well, I've been also playing all... that as well, but um, okay. I've just been finally like getting into like the final tier of like the guiding lands. And I guess I have a few thoughts on it. So 
Um, Iceborne, obviously, we've been talking about a few times because it is just kind of a game that it's easy to sink a whole bunch of hours into uh, and enjoy it. So I've been, I've been playing with primarily one other person, and we've been kind of making sure that we don't like, out-level each other because the, the way the guiding lands are like segmented based on your uh, your current level cap. So it is kind of frustrating where like if one of us has cleared one of those quests that unlocks your cap and the other one hasn't, then your then your lands can be like offset and you can't join each other until you like sync back up. So I think there are a couple frustrations like that where I feel like if this is designed to be a drop in drop out multiplayer experience that I feel like these things could have been implemented better. But then on the other hand, we were doing the optional quest where you fight the Shara Ishvalda boss again. And they implement a cutscene that actually like animates for multiple hunters. And I'm like, wow, why wasn't the whole game like this? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. When I saw that, like, I remember when I was reviewing Iceborne on PS4, I was with another reviewer and we did the Sharish Valda optional quest because he, because, um, basically the Shara weapons are really good, especially if you're like using Greatsword, like the, base game greatsword that's the best one to use if you actually care about looks and you don't want to just min max is the sharish uh, valda one and when we went to redo it and we saw that cutscene it's like what the fuck <laughs> why wasn't this like this why wasn't it this way for every ever cutscene in the game so for for those that don't know like maybe adam um when when you're playing through the story events of monster hunter and every single and of world specifically uh and the monsters have their introductory cutscene where you're introduced to them or when they first show up you can't join another player unless until they've already passed that point you can't have two people viewing a cutscene at the same time for the most part with a few exceptions like cold terra uh and then with Iceborne, it was kind of on the back of my mind where I was like, I hope they fixed this, though it was very pretty clear early on that they had it. So you have this weird staggering where it's like, have you seen the cutscene? Have I seen the cutscene? All right, let's join each other now, finally. And then and then at the very end, Sharish Vault, they've already beaten the primary like segment of the game before the Guiding Lands. And, they, and then they finally implement, like, here's the cutscene that just puts all the multiplayer hunters into it. And it's like, all right. This is how it should have been. This is how I hope it is going forward. This would be really I want, cool, I think. I want to say that actually the first time I saw that cutscene, I could be totally wrong. I could be misremembered. But so the way you fight Sharishvald is weird because it's like one quest right after another quest. And you can retry it like at any time. But it's like first you do like the preview fight for Rune or Norgigante. Then you fight Sharishvalda. I want to say that... It doesn't even kick out your party members before, right before you go to Sharishvalda. So they actually, like, you can see that cutscene with your full party the very first time you fight him. Right. So I do hope that that is a sign of things going forward. And then obviously we touched on last week how the uh, the updates are going to be synced like with like within two months, like by late March, I believe, maybe early April. Yeah. Um, so I'm obviously excited for that. PC is kind of on a like crunch schedule where the updates are going to be kind of coming yeah. fast and frequent. Like I, I guess they see the Rajing update sometime soon this month because February now. Uh, yeah, this and week. And that's kind of that's that's why oh this week. So that's why I've kind of been putting a bunch of time into it because I'm finally at like rank seven guiding land. So I'm like, all right, I, yeah. I'm pretty much you know quote unquote caught up. Uh, uh, so one I guess thing that's, else... the, that's go ahead. Yeah, one thing I will say that I've been really appreciating, like coming back to monster hunter on pc is that 
it, it was always going to be a huge grind because I have like 700 hours on PS4. So trying to like catch up on PC was always going to be a daunting task. But I really appreciate the Grand Appreciation Fest and how you get a ton of decorations from just doing the um, the Steamworks because yeah. that is really nice. It means that I can just like get a ton of decorations from like the get-go and that really helps, like especially early on when I'm trying to like get some good builds going because like and if you don't really play monster Hunter, like you have armor you have um armor skills and then you can augment them with uh, decorations that also have like skill points like embedded in them and at the end game it's all about making the optimal builds with both armor and um decorations to suit your play style so especially in iceborne where it's the hard expansion it's actually pretty important to have like a good selection of decorations to to be able to play with yeah so. so like for instance i just recently through one of those steamworks like trade tickets got my first handicraft gem but now i'm like not using it anymore and then uh i got a critical boost gem which to, to step aside the specifics basically means like oh now i can slot this through a, a modular decoration i don't need to have this particular piece of armor anymore so you like shift one thing out and then your whole build changes or whatever though i do want to say yeah. one thing that's weird about the steamworks is that obviously i enjoy getting like all those items for pretty much free but i do feel it kind of like <clears throat> undermines some of the systems at play like oh you'll never need to worry about mega potions or ancient potions even again because you'll just get dozens or hundreds just by dumping this like currency of fuel into your steamworks i just i feel like obviously it's cool to get those free items but it's almost to a point where i feel like it means like oh you know you never need to actually because i i would used to like use the tail raider safaris to like craft a bunch of max potions like there was like an economy at play about trying to make sure i have everything on hand that i need and then they're like all right like... now we're going to give you mega potions for free you'll never need to worry about gathering herbs or honey again because you can just dump them out of the steamworks there you go it's so it's weird i think that's to me. I, I can see what you're going at but there's still plenty of reasons to use the tail raider safari and whatnot so I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that they've cut down, cut like cut the fat for at least some of that. I don't know. Yeah, and they do balance it by making it so that you can only carry one ancient potion on you at a time. Even if you've got a hundred in your box, you get one to use in the middle of a fight. There you go. Uh, and then obviously yeah. you still need to craft up your traps or your bombs or whatever. Well, actually, you do get bombs from the Steamworks, but you do have to craft up like your yeah. antidotes and things like that. But yeah. Um, so yeah, Iceborne, I've, maybe by this time next week, I'll finally have played something else um, unless the rising update ends up making me sink more time into it. Uh, but I've, yeah. it's been really good. Like I, uh, this is my first Monster Hunter game and I don't, I don't know, we, I feel like we talk about it a lot, but I think it's because we just all have a, a pretty high opinion. As someone that's been playing, all... and I've said this before, as someone that's been playing Monster Hunter since Freedom Unite on the PSP, in my opinion, this is the best the series has ever been. And I remember Freedom Unite was actually the first one I tried, but I must have just not have been in like the same mindset or had the same like, uh, there wasn't the same zeitgeist around it. Because I remember like being really put off by it. And I'm thinking like, there's no way I'm going to enjoy this series. And then here I am 10 years later being like, oh, yeah, this is this is totally my jam. <laughs> so Monster Hunter before uh, World is definitely a bit of an acquired taste. Like you're talking about how the um, Steamworks kind of cuts a lot of the fat for um, like the Tail Raider Safari and whatnot. But like Monster Hunters Before World, it was like just a simple gathering quest was like a 
dozens minutes long like affair and like just like mining ore like you know how the animation for mining ore in monster world is pretty like fast it's like pick oh got an ore pick got an ore pick got an ore it's like just really quick well in previous games first off you had to buy pickaxes and bring them with you in your inventory and they could break after being used there was a chance for that but also it would take like three like hits of the pickaxe in an animation before you get your ore and like the overall animation itself was slower and it just yeah like and and wasn't even until like portable third that they actually let you know that something next to you you could gather so you had to know or just like keep spamming like the circle button on your psp to see if it was something you could actually gather and it wouldn't even let you know what it was so yeah. It reminds me of like playing those old uh, the original Doom games, just sliding up against walls. Like, is this a secret wall? Is this a secret wall? Just get pressing, just spamming that button, uh, sliding yeah. around the map. So, not to leave I'd them say, out, Adam. Yeah. I think you've. Uh, oh, I think we were done talking about Iceborne. Did you have any other comments on it? So, Adam, what have you been playing this week? I think it's something we've also talked about previously, based on what I'm we put on the list here. Still playing Saga Scarlet Grace. Um, we've talked about it a lot. We gave it our game of the year last year. It's a really good game. It's honestly probably my favorite game of the last decade, and I am not exaggerating. Um, the The reason why I'm still playing it is because the game, how the game works is that there's four different characters that you can choose from. And while generally this game is not a story-heavy game, and generally the events that each character runs into are the same, there's like a slightly different twist on each, depending on each on the character you're playing as. And the format, the, like the overall larger structure of the game is slightly different as well. Like, for example, some characters like Urpina are, have their game separated in, into three distinct chapters where characters like Leonardo don't. It's kind of like all, kind of all, all the events are kind of put together, kind of running at the same time sort of thing. Um, so each playthrough, they're not dramatically different, but slightly enough different. But also it's just fun because like this game is a very loose um what's what the way you set up your your team and your your party characters that you're using and the weapons they're using and the skills you have and your setup it's very loose and free and basically you can mold it however you want and so it's kind of fun just going through the game again you know do you have do you have access to different characters try you know try using different weapons different play styles things like that so i am on my fourth character here just started him just last night, uh, and that's the last one. So, yeah, I'm just still playing through it. Yeah, so I guess we won't belabor that point, but obviously RPGs are designed to, you know, they're going to be longer games, so we'll bring them up, you know, from week to week as we try different characters or we get into, like, expansion or, in, or you know, service content like Monster Hunter where they add stuff on to the end. So hopefully when we uh, are adding new games into the mix, they'll have a you know a better batting average than something like arc of alchemist this week so we'll see what comes up uh throughout february but it's a quiet month so it's hard to be certain exactly what we'll be touching on probably some some fire emblem yeah. expansions or some other maybe smaller scope games um so before we go into like the news or topics of the week is there anything else that we've uh been playing this week i no. beat uh the secret boss of the kingdom hearts 3 remind dlc Oh, yeah, you had mentioned where how you were playing on my critical mode, and you basically just hadn't like. You don't even like get anything for doing exactly. it on critical. I'll save you. Critical. Start shooting at you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
But you see, like, is the is the you've mentioned how like the the DLC will close out whether you win or lose. But is it worth going at that guy until you until you win? Like, you like what you effectively get is uh the best accessory in the game for beating him. So no, at that point you have beaten everything. But I guess if you just want to like, I don't know, fight the you can fight the data bosses again if you want. You have a better accessory to do it. So. There's no in, in my personal experience. Uh, I always call that like the dark cloud effect because um, in dark cloud you get the best weapon in the game for beating like the secret boss, and I'm sure there's tons yeah. of examples, and everyone will have their own personal dark cloud effect where you get this super good item, weapon, or accessory, but now there's nothing to use it on. So more, more I, I guess that's, that's in, kind of a in, that's a trope I'm okay with. Well, in dark cloud, what you're talking about is like the dark chronicle two weapon. And right. you have to beat like a 100 floor dungeon to get to the final, to like the super secret boss and beat them. And like every other dungeon in the game is like 10 floors. So that's like a really big dungeon comparatively. It takes forever. It's, it's, it's pretty tedious and boring. And you finally get to this final boss who is tough. And then you finally beat him. And then it's like, yes, I got the best weapon in the game. And then there's nothing to do with it. <laughs> right. Uh, but that, that's also I don't think new to Kingdom Hearts either. But I do I do kind of chuckle at that because it's I think it's something that I'm okay with and it's not going away. And it it, it does it's a way it's, it does feel rewarding if you want to go back to the game and fight those data fights again and things like that. All right, so on to our like news and topic section of the cast. Uh, we're gonna go through just some of the things that were announced like release dates or, or new trailers that throughout the week. And we're gonna open up with something that I am not familiar with, but I know that James is. So, uh, Fantasy Star Online 2 closed beta test will run from February 7th through 9th, so basically next week, on Xbox One only. Now, beta test dates, obviously, in, in and of themselves, might not be that interesting, but obviously, Fantasy Star Online 2 as a whole, being playable in the West, officially, I guess, is. So, James, what do you think about this? I think you're planning on uh, logging into this beta for, for us? Yeah, um, I already have a few people i'm going to be playing the beta with this uh, next weekend um i actually played a bit of fantasy star online too like the japanese release i didn't get too far i think i hit like level 30 so like a decent chunk into the game but not like like a bunch of progress um quite frankly i never thought i'd see the day where it would finally be officially localized because like the fan translation and like the unofficial like like English community that basically the Japanese side like kind of not really acknowledged, but like the meme was that uh, that ship two was always like the uh, foreigner server because that was like the one server that everyone that wasn't Japanese would play on. So, so kind of um, like their little allotted space. Have, do you have any experience yeah. with Fantasy Star outside of uh, PSO two, or was this pretty much it? Uh, that that was pretty much it. I'm actually really interested into uh, well getting in getting into it because um, here's something you probably wouldn't know, but Fantasy Star Online was kind of like what Monster Hunter seemingly kind of based itself off of, especially like the PSP versions, because like Fantasy Star Online it's an MMO, but not really because you have like segmented areas like with loading zones in between them, and it's like missions and structure like that which is actually more closely tied to how like the original monster hunter games would work where there's like a bunch of different loading zones and then 
you have your um your objective whether it be hunt or capture a monster whether it be gather some materials that sort of stuff so it's like right. I've been interested. I think there's a couple games that have that sort of style, and I don't think there's like a good overarching umbrella. So like so you might say it's like Monster Hunter, or me, I'm like, oh, that's like the original Guild Wars, or some people might say, oh, no, that's like Destiny, like that sort of hub MMO based. So it's not like open or anything like that. But I do know what you're getting at. But I don't think there's a good yeah. broad term to describe that sort of uh, that that uh, structure. Yeah, but yeah, I'm excited to get back to playing it because. Uh... I've been I actually been interested in playing a bit more of it on my Vita since I'm like one thing I find kind of interesting um this is sort of tucked away in the uh press release about the uh about the uh about the uh beta was apparently it is going to be voiced in English um I don't know if Japanese voices will be available at all but like I just figure there's so much content that you know the Japanese release has been able to like put out over years then now they're gonna have to try to like dub all of it <laughs> and the thing about yeah. these mmo or, or mmo likes is that sometimes the way they're updated are significantly shifted it's not just content packs like they might change I, I'm, I'm making a couple presumptions here but they might change how like certain abilities feel or how certain skills work or how even just like underlying mechanics work so that you wonder like are we going to have what japan had in 2012 are we going to see some of the quality of life updates like do we know anything about that i'm not sure uh one I thing know. i can say about fantasy star online too is that like some of the later episodes are really interesting in the sense like mechanically like i think episode four or five you're literally like isekai'd into like a regular fantasy world and it's essentially like tower defense it's weird <laughs> yeah i mean just and in general obviously... like how are they going to be bringing out like like for an mmo <laughs> they bring out new patches and updates all the time regularly but like how is that going to work uh here like is it just going to all kind of be fast paced or uh you know mm. is it going to be all kind of dumped at you all at the same time or what also so. considering it's an mmo like and like how long is it going to be supported in the west because it's like almost it's almost seven years old in japan if not longer yeah. like older so especially considering that like so if this game's coming out on Xbox One. It also is getting a PC release, but that's not coming out until later this year. But I do think releasing an Xbox One MMO in 2020 seems right because like is 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 it gonna be just like put put this disc into your Xbox Series X or your whatever is coming out that's later true. this year, and it's gonna be as supported or run better or just run identical? It's just interesting because maybe like five ten years ago we would have said like oh that, that's just mmos on consoles they're compromised quote unquote but now in 2020 it's kind of this weird place where you're like you've got final fantasy you got elder scrolls online um but there's more consoles think... coming out within 12 months so it's just well i think like releasing me, an mmo on a console like earlier in its life would make more sense like okay this this mmo can be supported on this console for throughout you know the several years that this console will be and then, and then right. at some point there's like that hard cutoff where they say i believe it was for stormblood maybe a patch after that where they're like sorry we can't support ps3 anymore that's just kind of how it yeah. works there's got to be that i just feel like point. two years from now like two years let's just say two years from now arbitrary is someone anyone gonna be playing an mmo on their xbox one but maybe the way that microsoft is is approaching this new console generation more like a brand than a device it seems like maybe it won't really matter as much but 
they'll, they'll just treat it like you're, you've been playing it on your PC and you upgrade it, and now you're playing it on your better PC, uh, only yeah. it's an Xbox Series X. So I think, obviously, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they have the foresight for it because they're the ones that have obviously partnered to bring it over here. I personally will probably dip my toes in when a PC version comes out. I've been kind of itching for like a new MMO, <laughs> even though it might be kind of ironic since this game will be eight years old by that time. Uh, but I, I'm interested in like the aesthetic and the style. And like, I don't think we see a lot of games like this anymore, which is why uh, there was always that kind of push about like, when will the West ever see it? And it's this year. It's kind of crazy to think. And about. I don't know if people, uh, I don't know if people like, especially younger people know, but like this game was officially announced for the West before, like six years ago. <laughs> they, Sega announced it, like it was coming. More and than six just, years ago, it was like 2012 or something. I don't know. Whatever. I, however, it was a long time ago, like several years. And they announced it, it had an official website and everything. And then we just didn't hear about it ever again. And then like, Four years after it was originally announced, or maybe even longer than that, that that website was up for a long time, even though we hadn't heard anything from it. And then eventually they killed it, and then it seemed like it was dead. And then it popped back up again last E3. So, well, it was never even officially confirmed to be dead because even when the website went down, like Sega was still saying, "Oh yeah, it's still going to happen." No comment. (laughs) I don't think they. I don't think they actually said that. I just don't think they said anything. (laughs) Like the website went down. And then they just no no one said anything. They're like, oh, I guess it's dead now. <laughs> but it wasn't. Yeah. So I don't know I, if I think it's, it's still worth alive. Noting. But, and, sorry, I was gonna say yeah, I don't sorry. know if it's still alive, but you it, it is a closed beta test for next week, and you can like sign up at pso2.com. Uh, I don't know if it's still alive. It seems like it is. But uh, you don't sign up right through now. that. You you sign up through the Xbox Insider Hub, either on your Xbox or on Windows 10. Oh, okay, so, so PSO2.com uh, is just the information session. And they talk about how they're, like, throughout the weekend going to have, like, urgent quests events. Like, they're treating it kind of like a legit, like, almost like a Monster Hunter festival uh, where it's going to have, like, these timed events, some on the 7th, some on the 8th. So it's they're, it seems like they're really going hard with this to try to get people in to, to get feedback. But it is a closed beta is basically what I'm getting at. You can't just turn on your Xbox on the 7th and get in. Yeah. All right, so next up is the topic of pokemon again so we did talk about this a little previously about the uh expansion pass but they nintendo announced a whole bunch of their uh like 2019 fiscal year um, sales metrics and one of the ones that was kind of like the header was that pokemon sword and shield had surpassed a combined 16 million shipped units and i believe adam might have more context about exactly like 16 million is a big number, but how big is it relative to Pokemon? I believe, Adam, that it was basically the fastest ever, which well, is crazy. they announced in the first week of release. So, first of all, we understand the the thing about Pokemon is they sell two different versions of it. So, that's it's right. kind of giving it's kind of cheating, you know, because uh, lots of people will buy two versions, you but know, we can still compare, game. you know, apples to apples, right? Pokemon to Pokemon to other Pokemon games, believe, right? Exactly. I believe you have the context. Yeah, I just that. wanted to, well, right? So, the, the they announced previously, so this was a part of their normal quarterly fiscal results. Um, so they, they released sales numbers for a bunch of things. Um, they had announced previously, just kind of uh, standalone, that in the first week of sale, Pokemon had sold 6 million units worldwide, which was the fastest for a Switch game. I don't know if it was the fastest for a Pokemon game, um, but it was the fastest for a Switch game. Um, now they announced now, basically not the game has been on shelves for two and a half, three months, 
that the game has sold 16 million units. And just for comparison, 16 million is about what the lifetime sales numbers are for a lot of previous games. And you can find all this on their on their uh, investors' website. Like Pokemon Sun and Moon sold 16.18 million units. Pokemon X and Y sold 16.44 million units. Uh, Pokemon Black and White sold 15.64 million units. Uh, so it seems like there's kind Pokemon, of a little benchmark that yeah, they all kind of make. Yeah, and those are those are lifetime sales. So Sun and Moon is already, not Sun and Moon, Sword and Shield is already right there. Um, and what's worth noting, of course, is that this is a Switch game. So this is selling at $60 uh, MSRP compared to those previous games, which are all handheld games, selling at uh, $40 MSRP. So in terms of pure revenue, obviously it's a better performer because yeah, it's selling, boost right there. selling just about selling about the same just in terms of numbers just obviously they're more retail per uh per, per copy sold and of course being at 16 million already after three months when 16 million is roughly the the lifetime sales of previous popular entries it's it's going to surpass it and it's going to become you know one of the best-selling games in the series i don't know I don't know what the best-selling game in the series is. Red, overall. Uh, red and blue. Yeah, I, I would assume it's red and blue. Uh, I know Diamond and Pearl on their website, it's listed at 17.67 million, and that's not including Platinum, which probably sold another several million on top of that. So that's a high bar to reach. But still, this is doing very, very well for a Pokemon game. And even. then obviously um, uh, these numbers are going to be boosted when all signs seem to point to that I don't know if you know this 100% ironclad, but this fall's Pokemon game is going to be that expansion pass. The second part of it comes in the fall. The first part of it comes in the summer. So that'll obviously be a boost to it. And I believe that expansion pass is $30. Yeah, $29.99 yeah. Uh, for, for both parts. So you kind of have that uh, balancing where they, they obviously have sold the original Switch game for as a full price game compared to like a 3DS game. And then they have the, for this fall, the expansion pass, which some people might have already, you know, bought into, but in, as instead of a full new, like either a third game or a second paired set, things like that. But it all, it, it seems like basically with all the controversy is too strong a word, but with all like the kind of the uh, caveats that Sword and Shield launched with that James touched on in his review and we touched on in the podcast uh, last week or two weeks ago. That basically it seems like a lot of people had enough, you know, passion for the series and playing it on a, a console device and the things that it did do well. Uh, that basically, uh, do you think, I guess I'll, I'll word it like this, James, do you think Sword and Shield deserves a success? Sorry to give you such a loaded question, that's, but does it deserve that, it? That is a really loaded question, <laughs> honestly, and I know I'll get shit for this. I, I mean... I never want to say that it's bad that a game does well, but specifically right, because of all weird. my faults with it, it's like I don't think that it deserves the title of second best selling um, titles in the series because that seems like a pretty safe bet that it's going to reach that. Right. Um, so, so is that a no? Is that a long no? Um, you can take anything out of that answer that you want. <laughs> right. But uh, do you, okay, how about, here's the follow-up. Do you think the potential is there with the expansion pass adding uh, the, some of the, for, it's, it's in expanding the decks, it's adding some of these other systems, obviously some more like Galar form Pokemon. Is the potential there for uh, redemption in your eyes? Like, can this be something where you think that this was a really good foray into console Pokemon games? 
I don't know, but my gut reaction is is that the expansion pass will help the game, but I don't think it's going to do enough to uh, redeem it in my eyes. So you're so you're more excited, and I think I am too, about what's next. Once the expansion pass yeah. is come and gone, and we see where we're at, see what the baseline is for console Pokemon, what is after Sword and Shield? That all of a sudden is really interesting. Yeah. All right. Any further thoughts on Pokemon? Sixteen million will probably end up being number two number one i think is dubious but we'll see how much of a push we see from the expansion pass but obviously it's a new paradigm there's not going to be i won't say there's not it doesn't seem like there's going to be a third game or a second paired set of games uh we talked about this last week we'll see how it goes and obviously we'll have our thoughts on the first expansion pass update when it hits in june yep or whenever it releases i think it's i think it's slated for june the first part of it yeah all right so uh our next topic is about another port heading to nintendo switch this is the outer worlds which released obviously late last year for the other systems and pc heading to nintendo switch on march 6th uh obviously we've seen a whole bunch of games from different publishers and developers heading to switch with different degrees of success outer worlds obviously it has this weird uh setup where it's uh, developed by a now Microsoft-owned developer in Obsidian, but published by this uh, publishing label under 2K. But uh, do we know who's doing this port? I'm not actually certain because Obsidian has part... Virtuos. Because I, I know Obsidian, they, obviously... Go ahead. I, Virtuos, um, in terms of Switch ports, they previously worked with Square Enix on Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy XII for the Switch. And they've they're 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 kind of a support developer they've helped a bunch of devs like i i I believe they worked on in some capacity uh star wars fallen order is that what the game is called fallen order uh the one that just came out last year so like they're Um, not they also did um go ahead they also i want to say they did dark souls remastered i'm not sure on which platforms Uh, but (laughs) so obviously we've seen the best kind of we've seen like the witcher 3 kind of become sort of like a benchmark and then we've also seen other games like, uh, for instance, Pillars of Eternity 1 when it came to Switch. That was a different uh, porting house, I believe. Though obviously it had a lot of uh, middling kind of response to how well they supported that. So, and obviously I bring up The Witcher 3 for a reason because one of the big things about The Witcher 3 when they announced that was that it was going to be like a full a full release. It was going to have the full, I believe, 32 gigabyte size uh, game card. They even had a few like physical goodies in the box, like a map. So they really went ham on making sure like this is a full-fledged release of the game. And you know where the other shoe is going to fall here. So Outer Worlds is releasing on Switch. It'll, it'll have a physical box with a download card in it. And I know some people feel very strongly about that i personally don't i don't know if either of you two do but it's it's I kind mean, of general like, i don't have a big preference over like i always buy physical or i always buy digital i'm not a i'm not like principled in that way i just buy whatever i feel like um but i do think it'd be kind of weird if you know that the game at retail is a download code like well why don't i just buy it on eShop and download it there or otherwise, you just have a case that's just a case that doesn't have anything in it. <laughs> but so, some people want that, though. I guess, like, for like for, so they can shelf. see the so they can yeah see the spine on their shelf or whatever. But I do think maybe, and this maybe this isn't fair, but you look at the fact that they decided against making a physical card in the case. Or is that indicative of the degree of 
effort behind it. And I, that's a very like, you don't want to stretch too far and think, you know, you can't presume that, can you? But it is something where it's like, it's a bummer, I guess is what I'm getting at. It's a bummer where you look at that, you look at the big image on our news article about this and it says, you know, game card not included. And you're like, oh, I guess that's how it is. Just from I remember yeah. when they, I forget what website it was on, but um, someone, some, there was some article about how Obsidian wasn't really planning on being able to do this on Switch. Like when they were developing the game, this this was not in their in their purview. Like they didn't think this was going to happen. But somehow, somewhere along the way, Virtuos got it a chance to basically show them what they could do, and uh, they surprised obsidian the developers that hey we might be able to actually release this game yeah it, it was it so, was announced late it's releasing honestly late and i remember i was actually speaking to uh leonard boyarski at e3 and i believe like the day before during the nintendo switch direct that's when they announced witcher 3 as a surprise and i kind of threw a question in there and this interview's on our website where i'm like so witcher 3 came to switch is there any chance and i felt like a like an obnoxious like asshole almost where i'm like i'm gonna put this i'm gonna punt this to their court and obviously they gave the expected answer where they're like well nothing's off the table but uh i believe anyway and then here they are you know next year announcing this and then another factor in here is that at some point this year they are releasing dlc for this game is that gonna come day and date is that gonna come late stuff like that like you wonder like these games obviously have multiple release dates now in in a sense where they've release their updates i don't know if it's only going to have one dlc or, or multiple or support beyond that but then is that going to come to switch uh late as well or at all and i don't think these are things we can ever even say for certain any other comments on outer worlds for switch or any other switch ports of recent times um yeah i don't know like what else can really you say? Know? I mean, I feel like they yeah. could have fit on a Switch cart if they tried because it's like 38 gigs on PC, but also PC has higher resolution textures and assets and whatnot. Like, I feel like if the game is starting out at 38 gigabytes on what should be the heaviest SKU, you could definitely shrink that down to fit on a 32 gigabyte Switch cartridge. There's also the whole thing about it should release on Steam this year too. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's true, and then you wonder about the Steam release. Is it going to come with the DLC package in? I believe the precedent seems to suggest that it will be, but based on some other games. But we're finally in that, uh, not to go completely into the PC storefront topic, but we're, we're now in that window where like Hades is in early access on PC. I believe Metro Exodus should be jumping over to Steam on in February. Uh, so we're, we're yeah. at that area where that first wave of exclusives or things like that are going to be jumping to multiple storefronts. So that's yep. obviously something that we'll be seeing more and more of, presuming that that sort of split continues throughout 2020. Next topic is from back to the uh, JRPG side of the fence. Uh, Zero no Kiseki Kai launches in Japan on April 23rd. This is obviously a follow-up to the uh, the Kai releases from the Cold Steel's Cold Steel subseries. So and then Ao, uh, just to mention, pronounce this wrong. Oh, yeah. And then Eo no Kiseki Kai on May 28th. So they're about a month apart. So this is obviously a series that I always just refer to James to be the knowledgeable one about this. So how do you feel about these Cold Steel Kai releases coming to PS4? Were they originally for PSP? Or Not was Cold it Steel. Sorry. Uh, Crossbell. 
Yeah, can... so it's actually weird, and it's funny, because if you actually look at our uh, cover art for uh, Zero no Kiseki on the site, it lists the Evolution release that was on Vita, which was not actually published or even really developed by Falcom. It was like Charaani or something. And I'm actually not sure with like this new content they're showing off, if they're going to include the Evolution content, because there was some like extra side quests or something in the Evolution games that weren't in the PSP version. So, like, the coolest thing about this uh, new release to me is that they're actually going back and adding some characters from the uh, Cold Seal arc into the old games, like, in the old art style with, like, the uh, pre-rendered uh, 3G, 3D CGI, like, map to sprite, like, Donkey Kong Country style and all that. It's, like, mm -hmm. it's really weird, but also cool on a, like... Weird and the way. big think, example given from the publisher well. is the um sorry i was gonna say the big example given from the publisher is the uh yuna appearing obviously the crossbell playable character that's from uh the, sorry the cold seal playable yuna. character who's played it's i believe it's yuna um and then yeah. she makes an appearance in the, the press release for uh one of the kaseki kais i don't know i i to give you my background i played all the english releases of these games so between zero and ao I don't know which is which specifically. And obviously that kind of tethers into the next topic here. We're like, all right, these games are coming to PS4. Does this give, does this open a door or at least a window for a, a localized release? I want to say um, yes, because we've seen obviously I, other, the other Kai releases have come uh, over West for the Cold Steel one and two. So I, I think there's a chance maybe. I am going to read something from uh, Durante's AMA on our, our games uh, let me see if i can find it but somebody basically asked him how many ever port can you say how many ever ports you're working on and he used he had a cheeky answer saying somewhere between zero and four wanky face and if you played like the series you'll know that out of like the three games that are still well more than zero less than four so i have the like three games that we're missing in the West. You have Zero no Kiseki, Ao no Kiseki, and Cold Steel 4. So the fact that he's That's working on Cold Steel 3's PC port, and presumably, like, I'm... I'll just be blunt. Like, people looked into it, and the PC, like, skew, like, the Steam database for the Cold Steel 3 port was, like, created in, like, 2018. So I, I'm going to just say that he's already working on Cold Steel 4's PC port, even though it hasn't been announced for localization. I feel like that's a safe assumption. So I, yeah, I think, like... The only thing I, I wonder is, so I think it makes 100% sense that Nice America, they're done with Cold Steel 3 now. They can work on Cold Steel 4. It's, you know, they have, they're they already familiar with some of the, with the characters and the terms and things. So they kind of, they can go into the next game that way. But like, there's also East 9 that's out now in Japan. There's these two games. And I think it's, I think it, I don't, I think it's a little bit to see, to expect Nice America to NIS America to localize four games that are all text heavy like this, all relatively efficiently <laughs> is right. Like, like, yeah, even if we see, like, even if we see one a year, they're, they're obviously by then we're going to run into the i'm going to screw this word up the follow-up yeah. but the, you you wonder though like in within 2020 2020 2021 2022 if we can get if we if they can get through that this hump of kind of this 
catch up in for the series you, you kind of wonder like in three years and four years will we be at a point where we're kind of just that that kind of that old early 2000s one year standoff from the japanese releases will we ever get to that point because i think that would be really cool and then obviously to have the gap close from there if if the success continues would be it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like now that they have the bigger publishing arm of nice america behind it you think is this this is a possibility and it's something that i think we all uh, as fans of the series so forward you know at at least in our mind's eye you'd be like gee whiz that would be really swell if we could get to that point but we're right now we're in that hump like adam said where it's like we're four quote-unquote games behind and in order to get through that it's going to have to be quite a bubble to push through for whoever ends up publishing these games in the west if if even all all of them come at all uh one thing i will say and this is like my thoughts on the whole situation um, I feel like what's happening right now is the reason why Misa is working on getting Cold Steel 3 out on PC and Switch now is so that they already have the baseline for the Cold Steel 4 port ready so they can release Cold Steel 4 on PC, Switch, and PS4 day and date. I feel like that makes sense because obviously there's going to be a drop in sales for Cold Steel 4. And it also gives them more time to translate Cold Steel 4 because they can kind of say, okay, so maybe we'll release Ease 9 this year and we'll have the ports for Cold Steel 3 and then maybe Cold Steel 4 is like 2021 and it's just day and date on everything. At least that's how I feel like it's probably going to go. Right, That and that would be really cool. And I do believe that uh, nice has shown they're telling people to start playing the series with Cold Steel 3 on Switch. So even though there's going to be you know roadblocks to that being a convenient thing, and everyone's going to feel differently about that, or at least different degree of severity about it, they they want to get people invested. It seems like, but obviously we'll have to see exactly how the Switch port turns out, how the PC port turns out. But but everything seems stay to be tuned. Promising. Yeah, I guess we'll probably be talking about that in March. And even though uh, I just well, played actually, uh, Cold well, actually, Steel. We'll have a bit Go to ahead. talk about probably next week. Oh, is that a tease? I don't know what you're talking about. That's a tease. Yeah. All right. Tune in next week. I'm going to drag James in here to explain himself. All right. All right. So our next topic is about Final Fantasy VII Remake, which we're all counting down the days, I guess. And maybe not everyone is so excited about it, but obviously this is a big game for the site, a big game for a lot of people who follow RPGs. Um so we got a new trailer, which trailer in itself might not be that interesting because I think this is like the sixth one. Because we had one at E3, we had one at TGS, uh, and like every single event. And then this is just kind of no event tied to it. Here's just another remake trailer. Uh, this one focuses on, I think, a whole lot more of a broad scope compared to the other ones because the other ones were introducing like certain playable characters, or uh, this one focuses on Tifa or, or Tifa. But this one kind of talks about. A whole bunch of things about Genova, about new content like Roche, who is the soldier on the motorcycle that they introduced uh, at some point last year. It talks about how new events in Midgar, because obviously the scope of this game is kind of paired back to the early section. Uh, Adam, I believe you've kind of had a a specific takeaway from this trailer. Uh, What do you think about this new trailer focusing on all these things in Final Fantasy VII? Well, first of all, basically it was just sort of covering a lot of elements that we knew were going to be in the game 
that we finally get to see, like, for example, Red 13. I mean, we, we kind of right, knew yeah. what it would look like, but there he is. Though I do um, wonder, they don't they don't show anything yet that suggests he's going to be playable, which is interesting. I wonder if he's only going to mm. play a, a side role, but who knows what secrets are. Maybe they couldn't figure going. out how to make a... They, maybe they couldn't. Maybe they can't figure out how to make a a four legged character work in the game's battle system. I don't know. Um, but so they they showed that they showed a couple of things. Like they showed Scarlet. Scarlet's kind of a minor right. character in the game, but she's got that infamous moment with which is a slap fight with Tifa. That's late late in the game. Yeah, um, we'll see that in remake part four or whatever. Yeah. Um, we saw Hojo. We expected to see Hojo. Um, he's the scientist, crazy guy. Um, but like this is basically getting to the point that Square Enix so often gets to, where I feel like they showed the entire game. Like there's, they yeah. even show the scene where they're kind of, uh, where they're escaping on the broken highway, uh, which is after the Shinra mansion, uh, the Shinra headquarter part, and it's just that that's where we expect the game to end because that's in the original Final Fantasy VII. That's where right after that is when you leave Midgar, and it showed basically that part. Um, and it just showed so much, you know, we got to see cross-dressing cloud, you know, which is kind of a funny moment and it's fun to see it, uh, in, you know, high fidelity now rather than the, the blocky sprites from before. Well, I, I am, I am kind of like, I see that as a focus of this trailer and I am kind of like glad that they're not shying away from it. Like obviously some people for one reason or another kind of feel strongly about that or they're worried that it was going to be kind of cut off because it no longer tonally fits but i'm glad well, it, personally it, that they're like they you know what this is part it. of the game we're oh i guess go ahead they so like in the original game it was almost like a brothel or something like that um this game they it still exists but it's more like a nightclub which i think is a very suitable yeah there's a there's a believable yeah, there's this there's a major difference there, but at the same time, the fact that they focus on a trailer where they show uh, Cloud getting the makeup applied and cross-dressing, and then talking about like "don't tell anyone" or whatever, uh, I'm glad that they're saying like we're not going to get all we're not going to get mired in like super serious all the time. We're going to have fun. We're going to allow some of the original character mm -hmm. of the game to to be retained in this remake 20, 25 years later. Uh, so I'm personally excited to see that. Though I do agree with your general consensus where it's like. If they're showing the highway escape sequence, which is pretty much the end of the Midgar section of the game, and then they also suggest some new like boss encounters to try to like really well, like, up the ante in terms of what goes on to end this kind of chapter, it, it does feel like what's what's left, or is well, there a whole bunch? The trailer also not? showed um, we we see Genova, which should not in the original version was not basically mentioned up to this point, or maybe it was mentioned, but you didn't actually encounter Genova in Midgar at all. And it also shows like some of the flashback scenes that I believe show up later in the original. So, you know, there might be some story structure format changes, which are not, not unexpected. Um, one other thing I'm kind of wondering is just like, how long is this game going to be? The original Midgar section in the original game even if you're taking your time, is like five to seven hours, and that's taking your time. And obviously this game is being sold as a big expansion on that, trying to make it a fully-fledged game. But I'm trying to imagine, like, can you stretch out this section to be 25 hours? <laughs> I mean, maybe having a shorter well, RPG well, also, is Also, like, like, but... the, like the new character, like the new soldier, that Roche, um, 
Yeah, we don't know anything about him other than but uh, but the not but like obviously we don't know much about him. But in this trailer, I forget his exact line, but it's like we we meet again basically. It's like so he's gonna be like a recurring. Like I wonder if like these sorts of things are gonna be kind of there. Are they gonna be obvious where they're kind of like inserting these new conflicts, these new characters to try to like stretch it out? I hope it feels organic. I hope it feels natural. And um, I hope it feels as organic as Genesis did. Yeah, right. There's that's always off the, on the back of your mind. Like, how much is the uh, extended universe? That's not the right wording. The uh, the the I don't know what you want to call it. The series I beyond Twenty Seven. Yeah, they had like this whole like uh, naming for it. The compilation. Compil- I think it was like Final Fantasy Seven compilation. And uh, you wonder if any of that's going to be like retroactively involved? Because obviously, there's still like certain uh cliffhangers and things like that that were never fully examined or explained but then they've been kind of dropped off for 10 years so it's just interesting to go back to final fantasy 7 after all that and wonder if that's going to still be at the forefront or not but yeah that's that's also one thing i'm also just sort of one thing i'm also just kind of generally curious about first of all have either of you played the demo that's been at various events or is it Disney? No. Okay. I did not. You played it at E3. Obviously, I saw yeah. it at E3, but uh, the three of us were actually the, the RPG site's uh, staff representation at E3. So we were all pretty booked, and yeah. I don't think yeah. the other two, James and I, had a chance to, to, to make it to that demo. But um, I'm sort of just wondering, like, ignore the cutscenes, ignore the story. Like, what are you actually doing in the game? Um, is it just going to be... A, is it just going to be different sections of the city that you walk around and run into encounters and find materia and train up your skills and level up and things. I'm just sort of curious about like the actual like progression of the game of your characters mechanically, how that's going to work. Um, right. I, I'm with you. The like the moment to moment. Like, one thing basically... I noticed. Go ahead. One thing I noticed, and this is such a small thing, but it, I, one thing I noticed in the, uh, demo that I played, and it was only a demo, is that, like, when you're running around on the field, the demo was the Mako reactor. Mako, Mako, whatever, however they pronounce it in this version. Um, where they blow it up, basically, at the beginning of the game. And that section was very linear. Like, you're just going up and down ladders and stuff, and you run into enemies along the way. But, like, one thing I noticed is, like, Cloud doesn't have a jump button when you're running around. And just the linear nature of this of the hallways and things i'm sort of wondering like is the game going to be basically just a series of battles and cutscenes? um like is there much to do like to go off the path or is it basically just is it just kind of a guided path through the story of final fantasy 7 like I'm, I'm just kind of thinking like how is it going to work as like a mechanical role-playing game I'm just yeah curious. you do kind of wonder like we've seen in like for instance the tgs demo was where they introduced i believe ifrit um and the summons and i thought the spectacle of that was amazing and that's the first time they show um i think a extended battle sequence of tifa cloud and Aerith uh fighting i forget his name Apis. uh and then that was obviously like almost you know breathtaking to be poetic but i do wonder like what led up to that was it a hallway was it an actual like dungeon with gates and levers and switches and, and ladders or was it not much at all like you do kind of wonder like take out the spectacle take out the cutscene which i believe everyone generally feels pretty positive on what is the moment to moment like if i want to level up my character what do i do do i run in a circle do i 
enter and re-enter a room and fight monsters on the field. I don't think a lot of that has really been adequately like shown. And maybe we're really getting into the weeds to wonder about that. But I think we've all seen through like these, like I mentioned, these six trailers, what the game looks like, what it feels like, what the sort of vibe we're getting from it is. Then you just kind of wonder like, all right, the next thing I want to imagine is getting my hands on it. What does it feel like to play? And you kind of know that a little bit based on these demos, but it's still not quite the full experience. So then you wonder about that demo like that was leaked on the store, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be released until alongside the game itself. It's kind of a weird situation there where some people have gotten access well, to actually, it. Well, actually, that, um, that was a game, a game spot kind of assumption that they misstated or they didn't say it clearly enough is that some editor made the, an assumption that the demo would be released alongside the game, but that wasn't... Yeah, wasn't I didn't... Like I didn't yeah, I didn't want to say that that was a for certain thing. It just seems seems like that's where it's heading. Unless it drops at some point this month. I figure it'll probably drop like a few weeks before. Um, yeah, so hopefully we'll get the answers you're looking for. Once now I will drops. say... Unless it's just paired back kind of like your E3 demo was. I will say the combat itself... So we were talking sort of like the out-of-combat gameplay. Like, what are you doing between battles and cutscenes? Um, but the combat gameplay itself, from what I played at E3, you can like, only play as Cloud at that time it's sort of a mix between um like final fantasy 15 and final fantasy 13 where it's it's real time or maybe more like kingdom hearts and final fantasy 13 where it's, it's real time like you get to move around you have an attack button uh yeah i guess there is like that tactical mode as well where it's more turn-based that they revealed i didn't actually play that way and then there's a there's a stagger gauge that you're basically you use certain attacks that aren't damaging or as as damaging, but you bring up you you basically build up a stagger stagger gauge, and then then you break it, and then you can start dealing your actual damage dishing attacks and things like that. Um, so that seemed pretty cool, like the combat. And different characters are supposed to have different types of special abilities. Um, Barrett seems kind of an seemed kind of maybe the weakest because he's mostly just shooting from range. I'm not sure much how much you can do with that. Um, but it'll be interesting to see like how if there's four playable characters or five if Red 13 is playable, like varieties and combat styles and how the combat in the game feels maybe might be feel considerably different between those characters. Uh, and you can switch between characters at will too. But yeah, that's I'm just when it, based on everything they've shown, which they've shown a lot about like the story stuff, I'm just sort of curious like moment to moment what you'll be doing in the game like you kind of you kind of at this point want like i want an hour of uninterrupted gameplay i don't want frills i don't want to hear what the theme song is i just kind of want to say like here's an hour in midgar or 35 minutes in midgar even so maybe we'll see that soon i hope i guess that's kind of at the point where we're at right now as someone that hasn't played final fantasy 7 my main takeaway from the trailer was that the moogles are terrifying and look like koalas <laughs> And we were actually speaking before this cast started about how uh, I'm, I'm personally kind of glad that, like, I like how Moogles kind of change their uh, their general design from game to game. I really like how they look in the Tactics Advanced series. Yeah, I love the, I love the ear Moogles. And I also love the Moogles. The, Moogle uh, the, the ones, like, the ones borrowed. I've never played Final Fantasy XIV, but they cross over with Monster Hunter to bring Monster Hunter back up. I love how that Moogle <laughs> looks. Uh, so uh, Moogles are great. And I love that we got to see the uh, the summon. And how they yeah they showed the, the trailer it. also showed uh, the Chocomog summon and Leviathan. yeah when, when you when you can make, when you can make the Chocomog summon that level of hype quote unquote it's like this shows kind of exactly how hard they're going with that yeah. all right so the last kind of news related topic for the game or for the cast 
is about Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, which obviously is not in itself an RPG, but it's tied to the uh, the RPG series and it has an RPG mode. So we're using those little connections to, to cheat and talk about it. Now, does, do either of you two have experience with Grand Blue? I personally don't, other, through, other than through osmosis and hearing about it a lot through people like uh, uh, Josh and Lucas. I have no experience with Grand Blue. I played Dragalia Lost a bit. The main reason I'm interested in this is because it's an Arc System Works fighting game, and I, I love Arc System Works fighting games. <laughs> so, and to, to to bring the context in, Dragalia Lost is the Nintendo published mobile game, but also developed by Psy Games, who is the studio behind Grand Blue. So, Grand Blue is a game that's kind of weird to me because I know I work with a lot of people who are super into that series, but I just personally don't have experience with it. But I've seen a lot of the art, I've seen a lot of the cutscenes, and how they're specifically kind of driving that, especially with the Arc System works behind it uh, as a selling point for this uh, for this game. And then I've also watched the the small gameplay demo they had at Grand Blue Fest about uh, Relink, which is the big RPG coming at some point at some time. So I, th- I feel like Grand Blue Fantasy Versus almost just feels like kind of a, this is what you get while you're waiting for what you actually want. Though obviously I'm sure there's people that are fans of the series who really are interested in this fighting game as well. Yeah, the, like you said, we sort of cheated. Like as soon as they announced that there's an RPG mode, which is sort of like sort of like a side-scroller RPG, like a, um, using the fighting game mechanics, we were like, hey, that's an excuse for us to cover it. Um so one thing that is yeah. interesting about this is that I, I the arc system works style i don't know what the name of the style is it's not cell shading but it's where they do the 3d animation to try to emulate the animated uh just an anime look which is obviously it's it's different because it, it runs at a, at a lower frame rate quote unquote naturally so they kind of i don't know what you call that but we've also seen that in like the fire emblem cutscenes or some other thing where it does this anime emu, uh, emulation not like legit software emulation but how it's trying to mimic the look and that's something where i look at this and i feel like it's probably the best implementation of that style because sometimes when i saw that same style in fire emblem games i thought it looked kind of off and weird but here i feel like it's something that arc system works obviously has down to a science in which obviously we saw in the dragon ball fighting game and we've seen with the uh the cutscenes and the, and the gameplay with the other grand blue uh yeah. properties so I think it looks really nice, even though I personally, I went into this thinking like, oh, I'm not a fan of that style. But then I look at this, I'm like, you know what? It looks pretty nice. And then uh, obviously Xseed just announced that it's coming out about a month later compared to the, uh, I believe, February 6th um, release for the Japanese version. And Xseed showed the dub, uh, a dub preview and things like that. And I'm surprised because I thought, for some reason, I thought that people would be like really hard on that. And I think some people were, but I've seen a lot of people like really excited about the voice actresses and actors on the uh, English side for the game. And they shared some of the anime footage about the actors and who had changed and who was the same. So I I feel like even though it's a month delayed, people are generally still excited about it for the most part, with a couple exceptions. I feel like there's a disconnect between the fighting game players that are excited for the game and the Grand Blue players that are excited for the game. The fighting game players are really upset that it was uh, delayed, and I think it is going to have an impact on how the game sells in fighting game communities. More people are going to import it. Like, especially around here, like, the uh, fighting game players I know, they are no strangers to, like, importing, like, digital or even physical copies of uh, Japanese fighting games before the Western release. And for people, like, like, this game is going to be part of Arc Revo, which... 
has actual money tied to it. So like an extra month of training is a pretty big deal. So, I mean, I'm sure the game will still sell decently for um, Xseed, and I don't know who is to... I wouldn't, I don't want to use the word blame, but what's the cause of the delay? Because all the translation itself was actually done on Cygames' side. Yeah, so I don't know. It. Yeah, so I, this is obviously a series that I want to get into, but I'm just not much of a mobile game player, and I'm not much of a fighting game player, so I'm kind of in that pool of people... Like, I want Relink, I guess, to be my introduction. I yep. don't really have any preconceptions about, like, am I going to like it? It looks nice, but I don't... And based on a short gameplay demo, it looks neat. It looks like this combination of Monster Hunter and uh, Dragon's Dogma, and then, uh, obviously, with a different style to both of those uh, artistically. But I'm kind of just in that boat where I'm like, all right, it looks neat. I'm, I'm, I'm into it enough that I'm willing to try it. But until we I'm, get there, I'm, I'm just... I, I personally, like, attach more to... Like, I am more of an RPG fan than I am, like, of a brand or a franchise or developer or whatever. So, for me, personally, like, Grand Blue, like, I don't care about it at all until it gets, like, oh, wow, like, a true RPG, which it seems like Relink is that. And even then, Relink feels more like a mission-based sort of co-op thing. But, like, up, up until then, up until that happens, I just don't really care, personally. <laughs> well, depending on who you ask, some people would call the mobile game a true RPG, but, like, just... I, I'm just not at a place in my personal life where I can play that on a daily basis as on, my, on a mobile device. But some people would say that there's your RPG right there. And uh, I just if like, I needed like a time waster on some because of a commute or or something like a bus ride or something like that, then maybe I could get into a mobile game. But otherwise, I don't have a need for one. Like the main reason I haven't tried Grand Blue is. Um... It just has so much content to it. It feels like overwhelming. It's kind of like the Warframe yeah, if, problem. Yeah, if, 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 like... if, if you haven't started now, you're you're behind a bunch of eight balls. You're you're uh, you're playing catch up. Yeah. And maybe we can talk about this more at length if we can get uh, Josh to come on the cast because I know he would have. I don't think Josh has like... played Grand Blue at all. Uh, or he, he follows it really Chow closely. Has. Oh, maybe Chow does. Oh, okay. Maybe we can get them on here and see if, because uh, I'd be, I'd love to bring this up with someone who's actually really invested in it. Just unfortunately, the, the three of us seem to be kind of interested on the periphery, but don't have that direct experience. All right. So that is it for the uh, kind of the news-based topics of the week. But one thing that we're interested in kind of piloting is just a general discussion topic that is kind of divorced from a specific news point here. So obviously we love RPGs and RPGs kind of have this long staying power in terms of uh, how long we, we feel about the series that continue on for years and years and decades. And we uh, obviously take a long time to play through them. And like Adam has shown earlier, we play through them multiple times. So obviously we feel strongly about RPGs. That's why we're on a podcast for RPG site. So we just want to bring in some discussion topics. Just talk about our favorite aspects of playing RPGs, about talking about them, about writing about them. So that's kind of what this last section of the podcast is going to be. So to introduce our first topic of the type, we're going to be talking about RPGs that we like to play at a slow, indulgent pace. Games that we like to marinate in and kind of absorb everything. We're not playing them just to knock them off of a backlog. We're playing them because we're invested, because we're... Uh, we're so engrossed in the lore, or maybe, the, or maybe Adam is the type who'd be more engrossed in how it plays, uh, or things like that. So uh, I don't know if we each have a game in mind that we want to talk about as an RPG-specific game or series that we really play that way. Like, for instance, when I talked about Monster Hunter earlier, I put a lot of time into it, but not in the sense that I, quote-unquote, marinate in it. Uh, 
do either of you two want to speak about a game or an RPG that you really, really sink your teeth into or something that you're anticipating doing in the future? Well, I'm not um, sure if I understand the question here, but what comes to mind, and maybe this is relevant enough anyway, um, is Dragon Quest Seven. So I'm talking about like a game that you take your time in or an RPG that you just kind of slowly progress through and take your time in. I think Dragon Quest Seven is a really good example of that. And here's why. So Dragon Quest Seven is a game where there there is not really a strong overarching um, narrative. And even where there is, it doesn't really involve the characters that you're actually playing as. What Dragon Quest Seven is more focused on are the people and places that you go to. And it's very it's a very vignette-style game. But even then, the way that the game's storyline and, and vignettes are delivered to you is not through exposition or cutscenes, but it's often through NPC dialogue. So when you... So back step back a second. So in Dragon Quest Seven, you're basically traveling through time and visiting different places in time, uh, two different in the past and in the future, and learning about a story in each place. And basically, what you end up doing is you go to a place and you start talking to NPCs to sort of figure out what's going on and who who are the important characters here because it's not the characters you're playing as; it's the characters that you're meeting. And so you, in order, if if you wanted to, you could probably just blitz through the game, skip all the NPCs, just kind of go through the dungeon, uh, fight a boss, go to the next one, get the shard or get the snap tablet, go to the next, go to the next area, and you could do that. But I feel like you're sort of missing the point of the game if you don't take your time to talk to the NPCs, to learn about the world that you're, the stories that you're entering. And Yuji Horii, the writer of Dragon Quest, the creator of Dragon Quest, has a very unique voice for this sort of stuff, the way that he delivers these stories. It's sort of like Dragon Quest XI, if you're more familiar with that, but it's even less, even pulled back more on how it actually delivers exposition. And I just feel like that's the type of game where in order to get the most out of it, you really do have to sort of just take your time with it as you are exploring the lives of these NPCs that you're running into. And the game is not always so obvious about what the story is. You sort of have to figure it out sometimes. And once you start to realize, like, the connections between the characters and um, and the overarching themes that the game has, it's really cool to see. So that's my answer. I don't know if, that is, I don't know if that's and, actually... And, and, well, the question that. is kind of worded vaguely, and obviously this is a new idea for the cast, but do you feel that it's this is something that Dragon Quest Eleven doesn't do well or just does not as well? Because that's it's, my experience. Dragon, Dragon Quest Eleven is similar. Game. Um, so Dragon Quest six, seven, and eleven all have that same similar style, um, especially where there's a lot of a vignette style focus, where you're focusing on like different stories that are like smaller, bite-sized stories um, for the different cities that you're entering and things like that. But Dragon Quest eleven has a more obvious uh, through line for like the larger plot. Where Dragon Quest Seven does not really, and it, it, when it does, it pops up close to the end of the game. And Dragon Quest Seven, and almost, also and almost mention, just because it feels like it just it's supposed to, and that's why it does. But other than that, it's not the focus. But Dragon Quest Seven, also I should mention, is notoriously long. Um, the PlayStation One version is like a hundred hours. The, the 3DS version, it's pared down a bit um, for various reasons. For one, like no random encounters, and that's still still like eighty hours. Uh, so it's a long game, so it's sort of a game you even have to take your time with, and there's sort of no reason for you to try to rush through it. Uh, but it, it's really focused on 
like these smaller scale storylines. And it's like I said, it's a type of game where your cast of characters are more like participants in someone else's life rather than the focus of the game. And some people that might be a turnoff, but that I thought I found that really interesting because not a lot of games. From what I've played of Dragon Quest Seven, which uh, about as far as I got into Dragon Quest Seven was the uh, one island with the killer robots. I'm pretty (laughs) sure that's only like 15% into the game or maybe less, but um, I enjoyed what I played of it and I'm excited to get back to it once I, as I'm going through the series and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Have you made any progress this year uh, so far? Because I think you were like uh, near the end of two last time we talked about it. And that's kind of your your yearly project. Uh, Yeah, I finished two. I've been taking a bit of a break before I start three because I felt like a... Well, I don't know. I feel like right. you, you, you don't want you don't want to just treat them like a chore with it onto onto. Yeah, and I, especially yeah. three, since I know it's supposed to be one of the best in the series. I want to make sure I'm like in the right mindset to really like, I guess, marinate it and all that. <laughs> that's that's our verb of the day is marinate. Uh, so Thank my answer to this that. question, yeah, Tony is the one who is a uh, contributor to the site and also to um, Nova Cristalis, which is kind of a sister site of ours. He's the one that kind of suggested this discussion topic, which I'm I'm, I'm glad that he did because I think this is going to lead to some interesting discussions as we keep this idea going forward. But yeah. when I look at this, I'm like, what series of or recent game have I played where I really had this sort of mindset? And what I go to is Baldur's Gate. So obviously we have the uh, the third entry in the series coming to PC and Stadia at some point, I think, this year. But we haven't really seen a lot of talk about it since uh, it was announced last year. Uh, and... I basically had no history with the series, but I had recently got into that sort of game with the uh, sort of late 2010 revival with Pillars, with uh, uh, with Torment Tides and Numenara, with Pathfinder, and with the um, the other Larian games. Divinity? Yeah. So I basically played through the Baldur's Gate games back to back to back. And how that works is that for the longest time, how it went was Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2, and then the Baldur's Gate 2 expansion, Throne of Ball. And then in 2015, the um, uh, basically Baldur's Gate One got an expansion of some sort with the Siege of Dragonspear, which was uh, developed by Beamdog, I believe, or maybe a partner of Beamdog. So it's uh, not the original developers, but they have the they have they're the ones that released the um, enhanced editions of these games. So they added new characters uh, to the series. And the the point I'm getting at is that if you want to, you can string all four of those games together. So it's basically just like one long. 130 hour massive experience where you start as you play as the um Gorion's ward basically a, a person with magical abilities at uh, a little town called Candlekeep and you take it all the way through where you go into hell and back and go from go to Am uh, and things like that where it's basically you play this single character from start to finish and you meet your party members and some of them will uh, basically stick with you the whole experience. Some of them pop in and out. So you kind of have that experience Adam's talking about where you have these characters that have their own lives, that have their own experience. Some of them obviously stick with you pretty much throughout the whole game. Uh, like Imowen is basically your quote-unquote sister character who you can keep through the whole game, uh, the whole series of games. But then some you can play in Baldur's Gate 1, but then you learn in 2 that they perished or they left this, the country or whatever. And so when I was playing through this, uh, I was... I actually really got invested in the world. It takes place in like the Sword Coast, uh, uh, one of the settings of D&D, I believe, 3.5 edition. 
And it's just, it was because that had this connection of tissue and there was these multiple narratives playing out through multiple experiences, it really kind of felt like a big epic quest, basically. So it, unlike Adam's example, where it was a bunch of smaller vignettes, this one was like each single experience had this big giant thrust forward where the first game talks about uh, your Saravok is the main antagonist. And then you go uh, to the second game and there's a new antagonist and you go into the expansions and there's new antagonists. And it's always like this big... It basically felt like the classic prototypical Western fantasy RPG done to its best with the only caveat that yes, the original games are a bit dated and there's nothing that you can do to like shield away from that, shy away from that. They were made a long time ago. So obviously it doesn't always have this high, high degree of quality of life. Some of the, some of the mechanics that play, like it uses this armor rating mechanic called Thaco, Uh-oh. which, yeah, which, which is kind of awkward because most pen and paper type games use a pretty typical like armor class where the higher your armor rating is you subtract that from your chance to hit and that basically is how your armor works like the more armor you wear you might not move as fast or have attacks of opportunity done against you but the chance that you're going to take damage is low so the mechanics behind Baldur's Gate are just a little bit ancient I guess that's maybe stating it too strongly but I'm really excited for the third game because I feel like here's the chance to have a fresh start Uh, we don't obviously know if it's going to take place uh we know it's going to take place in uh baldur's gate the city but we don't really know like beyond that exactly i think i think in my interview with uh uh, vink the uh, larian ceo that it's going to take place about 100 years later i believe is what they said so it will kind of have that like all right here's a new it's the same stage but it's a new setting it's we're gonna we're, we're gonna you know respect your time and say you don't have to play these other four experiences to to take the most out of this so to answer the second part of the question, basically, what am I looking forward to? And maybe it's a safe cop-out answer, but I'm looking forward to basically doing that same sort of slow, plotting, methodical playthrough through the third game and talk to every NPC and take in every single bit of dialogue and all of that. So that's well, my long To kind of bounce off of you, like, I have not played Baldur's Gate, but I've been sort of thinking about it very heavily the last couple of days, especially, because... Larian sort of teased that they're going to be releasing some info for it for the third game uh, this month, actually. Um, they tweeted something uh, kind of vague about, like, the, they said something like, I don't know, I don't even remember to say it. Something vague about the game, like they're going to be teasing info for it. But so I kind of want to experience a series or because it's it's a, such a seminal series from everyone, from everyone's point of view, but I haven't experienced myself and I feel like I really should. But knowing that it is like the whole thing from Baldur's Gate one to the end of the expansions for two is like 130 hours or whatever, you know, there's no point in just trying to rush through it. Like, all right, just start, take my time, kind of let it soak in, and work your way through it. Don't don't make it feel like a chore. Don't feel like you have to rush through it. Just sort of play it, soak it in. Take your to time. kind of bring it back to Earth a little bit, that Siege of Dragon Spear expansion, since it did come in like 10 years later does feel a bit out of time like it's brought up and then it's kind of ignored because it has to be because obviously Baldur's Gate 2 wasn't made with it in mind so I don't want to say it's like this perfect long you know totally coherent front to back that's, that's sensible but there, like there's a, sort of things where you got you gotta you know you gotta use some common sense you're like all right this came out later and i don't i think it was a good addition it introduced some good ideas like from a more modern standpoint like for instance in 
Siege of Dragonspear, it came out in 2014 or 15. It gives you like a stash that comes with you so you can kind of like put your extra items or whatever away where the original games didn't really have that. You had to have kind of, you had maybe a, a bag of holding or whatever, but you kind of had to keep your gear amongst your characters and then sold what you don't need. So it did, so Siege of Dragonspear, I do think kind of introduces some of those mechanics where it's like, here's how this RPG might look uh, in 2020 where it's just some quality of life things that don't detract from the, the spirit of the game. Uh, but we're going to introduce them in terms of respecting your time, in terms of making it convenient to play, and things like that. And then obviously, one factor of Baldur's Gate 3, which even though it's been a bit of a punching bag, I feel like, early this year, uh, but it is coming to Google Stadia. And when I did talk to Sven about that, um, Sven, being, he, he did actually give me a convincing answer. Basically, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, or at least 2, is our multiplayer, but obviously it's early 2000s multiplayer where you have to have like that direct connection uh it's not convenient it's not based on any sort of storefront client but he basically said where it's like stadia you know if you want someone to join you all they need is an internet browser they don't have to download the game like to their hard drive or whatever and obviously everyone's gonna have different logistics that they have to keep in mind like what's their internet connection etc things like that but the idea of inviting someone into your party uh, obviously the tagline has been gather your party um to make Baldur's Gate 3 almost feel like a extension of a D&D session. I think the potential there, I think, could be really good. But obviously, we'll see how the implementation lands or not in terms of whether or not that'll actually be used or convenient. Mm -hmm. And then obviously... Yeah. Uh, and then one last thing I do want to bring up is that uh, we do have that Dark Alliance follow-up that was announced at Game Awards. But I don't believe it's using the Baldur's Gate name. It's using like Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance. So it'll be interesting to see if that ties in at all. But that's more talking about the series and less about the question about marinating because I don't have any experience uh, with that sub-series. But that's my answer. So sorry to take the time to, to really go into that. But I'm, I guess I'm really excited for it. The game that I kind of marinate to, it's kind of actually a, a contrast to how uh, apparently uh, Brian plays it. But I'm a big fan of using monster hunter for that like there's something really relaxing about just grinding out some of the uh um lower tier content to kind of grind up a new weapon or something like that like the whole joke that monster hunter has had for a while is it's like okay so i want to fight this monster but i don't feel confident about grinding it so I'll grind this weapon to grind this monster but wait, I need to get this material to get this weapon to then grind this monster. And it's just like a feedback loop. And I don't know. It's like, I, I really enjoy actually, that. This actually reminds me of a piece that Liz wrote for us a while ago now. And I think it's a sentiment that some people can really uh, understand. Is that sometimes when you're playing a game, just depending on your mindset or how much time you have or what else you're doing, maybe you don't want to like, progress through the storyline content of the game and you, you know you don't want to do something that requires a lot of interaction or a lot of kind of thinking about what's going on you might just want to just waste time or kill time and sometimes it's just relaxing and uh to grind you know just spend some time in a battle system you know fighting enemies getting stronger getting loot uh getting exp uh maybe put on a podcast or something while you're doing it you know maybe you have this like an hour before bed or something like that and you're like you know what let me just put some time in this you know i don't really want to progress uh, the story just to give context get... to what you're saying uh that was she was writing about in defense of final fantasy 15 side quests was what that was and i believe she talked about the oh yes that's what it was things like that and yeah, she found, she found the side quest kind of mundane and <laughs> 
So to bring it back to Iceborne uh, or Monster Hunter in general a bit, uh, I guess, yeah, James and I do kind of play them just in slightly different ways. So it seems like I don't want to speak for him, but James really gets into kind of the incremental. It's almost like the pure RPG of improving your character. And uh, I'm invoking the, the discussion about whether or not our Monster Hunter is an RPG or not. Uh, I'm not going to answer that. Uh, but I do yeah. feel like there is that sort of. Uh, and it always feels good to to earn the capability that you didn't have before. Whether it's not you, you finally make that weapon that has a really strong uh, paralysis effect or, or whatever, and then you use it in the next battle and you paralyze the monster and you weaken their tail and you blow it off and you use that to create a new sword that it's, does something different. And this it's, is it's the just progression like part cool. about RPGs that are that's yeah. so great. Uh, one of my favorite never... things is is um, especially with the uh, gold and silver wrath uh, um, uh, weapons. Like how, like once you get to the end of those upgrade trees, obviously they look like really fancy. Like the uh, gold Rathian gun lance is nice, like nice and gold, and like the silver Rathalos great sword is got that silver tint to it. And it's like it's like a status symbol. Like when you're hunting with someone else, even if it's not the most optimal weapon, it shows that you had to like put in like a couple of like at least a couple of hours of effort into getting to that weapon, probably more than a couple of hours. And I guess yeah, it's so kind of like a multiplayer give, aspect of it. That yeah, like. and to give Adam a little bit of context, for most of the monsters in World and Iceborne, you can kind of farm it almost at your leisure, where you get an optional quest, where even if you don't have any like advanced investigation to, to find a lot of monsters or a lot of items, the Gold and Silver Rathian start out a bit different, where you got to... It's, there's almost like a bit of a circumstance at play where you're like you're, you're wandering in the guiding lands and you, you run into one because you've leveled up a region a certain high uh, to a certain level. So when you finally get to a point where you've hunted a couple silver Rathaloses and you get enough gear to make uh, the chess piece you really wanted, it, 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 it feels kind of cool. It almost feels like getting that drop from an MMO uh, that you were just lucky enough to get and, you know, talented enough to to overcome that, that encounter. So I don't mention that... Gold Raffian and Silver Rathalos are some of the hardest monsters in the game, so that helps. Yeah, and obviously going back to the PC version, I'm excited to to kind of get that sort of experience with the uh, what they're still got to add to it. And I guess even for the console versions beyond uh, the summer, because I, I guess they're just not going to let that game go to bed quite yet. So uh, maybe maybe next time I boot up Monster Hunter Iceborne, I'll try to. I'll try to go into it with more of James's mindset of just really letting uh, the experience kind of speak to me and not just be looking at what I'm what what I'm optimally trying to get out of it. Yeah. So between the three of us, are there any other games to kind of close out this discussion and this podcast? Because that was kind of our last topic was to just talk about what sort of RPGs we really like to sink our time into. Um, I'll, I'll just say generally that like. February is a pretty quiet month for RPGs. There's not a lot coming out. Uh, I will, I will uh, share that we we do have a calendar on our website that I that I update regularly of all the RPGs coming wow. out this year. Uh, and we've done it for the last several years. And sometimes I might miss some of those smaller indie ones that are sort of hard to keep track of. All of them sometimes. But yeah, this month there's not a lot coming out. There's the Fire Emblem DLC. Uh, coming out mid-month and that seems to be pretty sizable but otherwise a couple of small things there's um one second let me pull up the list here yeah there's, there's that the tactics Crystal. game based on the yeah, yeah. you're we're going to the same place so that's an interesting game because i don't really have any experience with the series and i have no like 
Uh, yeah, I haven't seen the movie or the new Netflix series. Apparently, both are great, but I just haven't seen them. Um, they're like Muppets. It's like a Muppet-based uh, fantasy fantasy series, and it seems interesting. I just and I, people love them, but I just haven't seen it. There's the Yakuza, the Yakuza Remastered series coming out physically, and also the fifth game digitally. So for Yakuza fans wanting to play this on on modern consoles, here it is. Uh, there's the Snack World on Switch, which is a level five kind of cutesy RPG. Um, some people compare it a lot to, it seems a lot like Fantasy Life, which is also a level five game that a lot of people like, but I'm just not not as familiar with it. Then a couple of uh, a couple of uh, indie-ish the Rune Factory, games. right, is coming next yeah. month. Oh, right, Rune, Rune yeah. Factory is at the end of the month. But, but even that, know, even that's though- That's probably people... the biggest release for- uh, Right, RPG and even though that's- yeah, but people are super interested and invested in that game. But even then, it's still kind of an upport. Not to not to say that that's really a mark against it, but some people might have already played Rune Factory Four. And anyways, my larger point was that. like this month, I'm just sort of gonna try to see if I can play some backlog stuff. You know, some stuff I've been meaning to get to. Maybe I'll start Baldur's Gate uh, before the third game releases later, so I can be maybe maybe, maybe I'll finally get into Saga. Though I was gonna say that Dark Crystals: Age of Hactics or whatever it's called. Um, just as a just as a pure game without any attachment to the IP, I could see myself maybe trying that. So we'll see. All right, I believe that pretty much closes off our cast for the week. So that's three weeks in a row that we've managed to do this. So that's enough to call this a regular thing. I like how we talked about how we were going to pair this back, do it every other week. Uh, at one point, it was going to be once a month, but no, we've, we've decided we're going to do this weekly. It seems like, at, if at all possible. Sure. <laughs> yep. All right, we're all eager about it. So, uh, obviously, uh, we write for RPG Site. You can find us at rpgsite.net. We're very active on Twitter, at RPG Site. We also have Facebook and YouTube channels, uh, at RPG Site.net. You can find this TetraCast on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, and then you can join our Discord. The easiest way to get there would probably be through the link in our homepage. Uh, you can find me, Zio Masakot. Uh, on Twitter at Z-E-O-M-A-S-S-I-C-O-T, though I haven't tweeted a lot recently, mainly just because of stuff going on in my personal life. Uh, Adam, where can they find you? K-I-N-G underscore S-E-D-A. And Adam usually always is pretty good about giving his immediate impression about finishing a game. And then James, you're more active than either of us. Where can they find you on Twitter? Um, at T-H-E-S-W-W-E-E-T. All right, and we hope you follow us. Give us comments. Uh, if you if you think Ark of Alchemist is an amazing game and you disagree with James, let let them know in the comments. Uh, we try to keep anything that is civil and, and, and you know anything that is leading to good discussion, even if it's a disagreement. Obviously, we love to see the feedback on things like that. We'd love to see your feedback on this on this cast if you've listened to it. Anything that we post to the Twitter, please give us a response. Uh, and obviously, we'll see you next week with the next edition of the TetraCast. We're going to try to keep this going while we have the momentum. So we'll see you then. Talk to you later.